Several years ago, uh, when we only had our two oldest, Reese and Lucy, uh, they were around six and four, somewhere in there, uh, that age range. And we were in a car ride. We were living in West Texas at the time. So if you live in West Texas, you spend a lot of time in the car going to any place that you want to go. And so this particular time, wherever it is we were going, we had our two little girls with us in the car. And my oldest, Reese, began to count. And she got... She counted from 1 to 10, but she kept going past 10. And her little sister, Lucy, thought that was the greatest thing in the world, that she could count that high with those big numbers. And so my little Lucy looks at her big sister, Reese, and says, I bet you can't count to 1,000. I've told this story before. And so Reese looks at her little sister and says, I can, and starts to count from 1 hitting 10 and 20 and 50 and 75 and 100 and 175. And her little sister's look, as I'm driving the car, I could see in the rearview mirror, her little sister's look was big-eyed in awe, amazement that her big sis could count that high. And Reese kept going. She kept counting. And her little sister just was in awe of what her big sister was able to do in her presence. Now, I will say, and I am not, this is not preacher exaggeration because Reese kept counting and she kept counting and she kept counting and she was in the hundreds and she was approaching 1,000 and there was no way to stop her. But I want you to know, as I was watching in the rear view mirror, her little sister who was in awe that she could get to 75 or 100 or 150 and even 200, when she was approaching a thousand, her sister's awe and amazement had turned into disgust. It had turned into annoyance. That face of little, uh, of little Lucy was just outraged at this point. And I'm not going to say that her father and mother were not outraged that she was still counting. But this moment had continued where this awestruck little girl now turned into this awestruck moment of annoyance and outrage. So what was once an awe moment turned into outrage. And so Lucy uh, Reese counts to 1,000, 999,000. I told you, when you live in West Texas, you're in the car a lot, and you're in, the, you're in there for a while for a little girl to count from 1 to 1,000. And when she got done, Lucy looked at her and said, So? And that was the end of that. I don't think we've ever had a kid try to count, or count to 1,000 before because what happened in and awe turned into annoyance and disgust. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment, because maybe it's not accounting to a thousand, because different things grab our attention, different things strike us differently. But what are those moments in life that are miraculous, amazing? They get you a different way. But after a while, they're kind of, uh, moments. They're so moments. You ever seen the most gorgeous sunrise, sunset? You know, I think about this often when, uh, when we've taken vacations in, in, to Colorado in the summer, some of the most gorgeous sunrises I've ever seen. But after two, three, four days in the mountains and watching sunrises, doesn't mean the beauty of them have gone away. But after two, three, four days of them, I'm kind of like, yeah, I've seen it. Those awe moments have become eh moments. 
Now, I, I turn our attention to this because in Exodus chapter 3, we have an awestruck, amazing moment that this man named Moses will come upon in Exodus chapter 3. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be spending a lot of time with Moses. We're going to be looking at the life of Moses and and primarily, Moses is going to become a springboard for discussion and study for us as a church where Moses and his place in leadership will create conversation for us as a church about leadership, church community leadership, and specifically eldership. But it also, through the life of Moses, helps us create a conversation about community, about our place and the grander, bigger picture of God's people. And as we will talk about Moses and his leadership, specifically over the next few weeks um, in general, about Moses and, and his calling into that leadership, I cannot have us talk about Moses, have a prolonged study in the life of Moses, without us beginning where all things seemingly begin for Moses, which is in Exodus chapter 3. Now, Exodus 1 and 2 do exist, and we have a young Moses in those chapters. But here in Exodus chapter 3, this is where where God enters the picture into Moses' life. Where a seasoned, aged Moses is called into something different, something new. And really, for Moses in Exodus chapter 3, this is the springboard for the Moses that, me, that you and I may think about and study and discuss and talk about. Because this is the springboard for the Moses that comes in all the chapters and all the books that follow in God's holy scripture. And it happens in Exodus chapter 3. Because here, in Exodus chapter 3, we have a moment that is unlike any moment where Moses is living his life. He's a shepherd for his father-in-law, an actual shepherd. Moses is in around uh, 80 years old. And Moses is going about his business, his life, his schedule, when something remarkable awestruck occurs in Exodus chapter 3, and it's this moment that we call the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, let's pick up in verse 1. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight and see why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. Now, this is beyond ordinary, right? Now, Moses is living ordinary life, his ordinary version of his life. He is a shepherd. He is with his sheep as he would be most of his time. 
And as he's going about his business as a shepherd, he realizes and notices something that is beyond ordinary. He finds an awestruck moment that this bush is on fire, yet the bush is not being consumed by the fire. And as Moses approaches the fire that, uh, that is within the bush, but not consuming the bush, it's something even more miraculous and awe-striking, awe-inspiring happens. The bush speaks. Now, I want us to pause and think about this moment because this is awe-struck kind of moment. This is beyond ordinary of the day. And what happens here and what happens in the verses that, that come through after verse 4 of Exodus chapter 3 are verses and moments that changed the course of Moses' life and the Israelites, the community to which Moses is ultimately a part of, forever. And it happens in an awe-struck moment. In a miraculous moment. Verse 5. Moses replying, Here I am to the voice that comes from the fire, and God responds. Now, if you were writing the story or thinking about the story, maybe you forgot what comes next in verse 5. You may not write what God responds with, but God responds with something that I want us to pause for as we're going to with many of these verses this morning. Here I am, Moses says. God replies, do not come any closer. Now, it would seem that God has created this fire within the bush that doesn't consume the fire, as only God can do, because remember, God is the God of impossibilities, to get Moses to come over to the bush so that God could have a conversation at the very least with Moses. But God's first reply to Moses' presence, to his acknowledgement that he is there before God in the fire, is do not come any closer. That God doesn't want Moses any further than where he is in this moment. Because God understands something that we will learn as we go with Moses, and that Moses hasn't quite picked up into this early encounter with the Lord Almighty, is that when God is present, something special and awestruck is present before us, is there right before us. That when God is present, we are before the creator of the heavens and the earth. We are before the God, as Bryson pointed out to our children, that wipes our sins away. The God who cleanses us with grace and mercy. We are there before the God who can consume not mere bushes, but our lives. And so God responds, do not come any closer. The next verse, the next part of verse 5, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And this is where God enters into the life of Moses. And it's with holiness. It's with an acknowledgement that something bigger And holier is going on than just a bush on fire. That God uses, actually, the ordinary schedule and the ordinary life and the ordinary workings of a shepherd 
in the middle of the desert to bring about change, to bring about structure, to bring about holiness, godliness to his people. And so Moses now, hearing the voice of God through the burning bush, realizes, understands, hears it, that there is something about this moment. Now, of course, we're not in Moses' head at this moment. We don't quite understand all the emotions or all the thoughts that are coming through this. But this is why I want us to pause and slowly think through this for just a moment. Because what kind of thoughts and emotions might you have in a moment like this? Trepidation, uncertainty, anxiety, great fear and worry. Not only at the circumstances of something beyond ordinary in a bush that is on fire but not being consumed, but the fire itself is speaking to you. And now the fire is calling in this moment that there is something grander and holier and godlier about what you have been doing in this particular place where you are called now to take off your shoes and come into the place where God is, which is holy ground, holy presence. That is beyond the ordinary. The awestruck moment now hits. And it's the shoes that don't make a difference. It's the presence of God that makes a difference. It's the interactions of the Holy One that bring the common and the typical into something that is awe-inspiring, that is beyond the ordinary. The Creator is present before Moses. Let's continue in the verse 6. Do not come any closer. Verse 5, take off your sandals for where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, at this mere statement, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And I think we could look at verse 6 in that last sentence of Moses' response, and we could look at it and say, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to be in holy ground. Um, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of holiness, right? If this was a Bible class, I would love to hear kind of these thoughts of how you might define holy or holiness. What comes to mind? How, how might you give descriptor or, or answer to that definition to? Because we often think of holiness as, and this is a general observation of, the, of probably the day and age that we live in, but, but holiness is negative, right? Holier than thou. Oh, they're just a bunch of holy you know, you fill in the blank. But we often think of holiness as something that is, that is beyond or more than or in a negative sense that we don't want to be like. Right? Or, uh, I'll be real honest, my first thought when I asked myself this question was I was thinking of Robin from the, from the original Batman's the TV show. Right? Because he always has a good holy joke in there. Holy smokes, Batman. Right? And so we think of these terms of holy or holiness, but we think of them in terms of where we are in this world. Now, God enters into the picture in Moses' life, and it's not 
an accident that God creates a holy moment. God is intentional with creating and building an awestruck kind of moment. And really what we find out through scripture and through God's intentionality is that holiness is intentional on God's part. That holiness is by design setting and bringing apart a moment that is vastly different than the other moments that you and I experience in life. So think about what Moses is doing. He's living his life. He's doing his job. He is in his normal routine and schedule. He is with his sheep in the desert, and he's living his life as he has done for 40-something years to this point. And in this ordinary movement of life, God creates holiness because it's different, because it's set apart. So God creates a moment that is past the ordinary and the, and the typical of Moses' day. And God in the moment creates holiness and holy ground where now Moses can begin to understand that where he is and who he's before is different and it is set apart. And this is a very good thing. God calls his children to be holy people, not because he wants you to be so vastly different that you are persecuted, but that you are so vastly different that you are in moments of holiness and togetherness with God. That God is a God who creates holiness within our lives so that you and I can find him before our burning bushes, before those non-consuming fires. God creates holiness and a holy moment because holiness brings something in the Spirit of God. It brings transformation. It brings renewal. It brings energy. It brings focus. It brings God's people to Him first and foremost. And here, here's where I want us to take, here's what I want us to take away. Holiness is not routine. It's not routine. And so to kind of think about this um, in a more um, practical level, let's think about it this way. I have said this uh, many times over many weeks in our gathering together in this place, but we do something quite special and holy when we gather in this elementary school cafeteria. This place was not built nor designed for a worship to be taken place in here. It was designed for hundreds of kids to scream their heads off and make messes. That's what this place was made for, right? But when we come from out there and into here with the direct purpose and intentionality of worshiping and being in the presence of the Spirit of God, we are partaking in something that is far greater than the purpose of the building. We are a part of holy ground because God is present. And so, 
And that I, I, am, I am as guilty as anybody else on this one. But I'll come out of my week. You know, everything that's going on outside of this building in this time on a Sunday. Um, some Sunday mornings, even in the Aikens house, is pretty intense, right? Sometimes we're not talking to each other on that 15-minute drive to church, right? No one's, okay, okay, come on, you understand what I'm saying, all right? Don't act like you haven't experienced that Sunday morning, right? The, the world and the, and the schedules and the, and the obligations and the worries and everything else seep into this place at times. And we do this on such a regular basis that oftentimes I'll come into this place and it doesn't feel awestruck, right? I've seen that sunset before, right? Oh, we've, we've, we've counted past 500. Now we're just annoyed at this point, whatever it may be, right? And so the danger and the worry is is that we enter into a school cafeteria and we say, well, this isn't our place. It doesn't look like a worship, a worship place or, or all of these different things and all the worries and all the baggage that kind of comes with this. And we, and we enter into a place like this and we don't see that the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed before us. I mean, the bush on fire is logically and physically supposed to be burned up and consumed. But that's not what happens in Exodus chapter 3. Why? Because God is present. And the one that is to be consumed is not the bush. It is the man that is before him at the bush. And God creates this holy moment, and it's not routine. Guess what? What you and I are doing right now in this school cafeteria is not routine. This is set apart. This is different the vast majority of our world, of our country, of our community would look at us coming into a place like this, especially a place like this, and a time like this, and doing the kinds of things that you and I participated in and will participate in in this moment, and they will look at it and think of it as something that is unusually, unusual and weird even, right? But God shows up in this moment and we acknowledge the holiness that comes from doing something that is different and out of the ordinary. We are called to bring all that luggage and all that nonsense with us so that the presence and the Spirit of God can be present and, uh, and before us this very day because He is burning that bush right before you right now. That bush is on fire for you. Not to create ashes, but to create life. Because what happens in Exodus chapter 3 is that the bush survives the fire. And Moses is changed forever. That Moses finds calling in Exodus chapter 3. The burning bush moment is a calling story. That God shows up out of the ordinary, through the ordinary, to bring Moses to do something that is extraordinary. To be his shepherd to be his person, to know that the fire that should be burning the bush is there to burn him. So God reminds him of that. And I love, and we're, over the next couple of weeks in particular, we'll, we're going to look more closely at God's calling in verses 7 through 9 because God 
doesn't beat around the bush, so to speak, pun intended. God comes straight at Moses and says, you're going to lead my enslaved people out of Egypt. Can you imagine if God showed up and said, you're going to take thousands of slaves and lead them out of Egypt? But let me jump to verse 10. Because God, now giving Moses the instructions of what is to come, which is anything but routine and ordinary, in this holy moment, God says, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is determined, and God has now done something new and extraordinary in the ordinary through the burning bush before Moses. In the presence of God, we are sent. When holiness is a part of our everyday life, our community life, God calls you as an individual and he calls this church as a community to step onto holy ground and be burned and to do something that is extraordinary. He calls us as holy people to be holy leaders, holy followers, to be holy ministers, holy servants, to be holy mouthpieces of the good news that is Jesus Christ. But as we end this morning, or begin to end, picking up in verse 11, our warning is to get out of our own way. But Moses said to God, God comes in the... He, imagine, Moses is talking to God through a burning bush, and Moses has the wherewithal to say this, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that, I, that it is I who have sent you. Now, pause there. Moses has to be thinking it's going to be, the sign's going to be like an army, right? It's going to be like some weaponry. It's going to be some armor. It's going to be something fantastic as a sign to go before the most powerful man in all the known earth, Pharaoh himself. And the sign that God leaves to the man who's being burned by the bush himself, the sign that God wants to give to Moses, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on the mountain. Okay. Anybody hear what God just said is the sign? It is after everything has been done, that'll be your sign. Like, it's like, you know, when you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you want to know how you know you made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? It's because you ate the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's how you know you made one. Now, God is saying, if you want a sign that I will be with you, the sign is when everything's done, you will worship me. I will be with you right there. Now, it doesn't seem like much of a sign, but God's giving an answer to a question that he doesn't really find a whole lot of credence in. Because remember, the bush is burning and not being consumed and speaking to Moses, and he has declared this holy ground, and Moses wants to argue his presence and place in something that is holy and extraordinary. And God's wondering, he has to be wondering, really? Really? I've got this burning bush thing going on, and you're wondering if you fit into the, to the story here? This is beyond ordinary. This is extraordinary. 
And so God's sign is that if you listen and trust and know that you are on holy ground, everything that I tell you will be achieved. That holiness is a calling. And the ground that you and I find ourselves in week in and week out and this school cafeteria, this holy ground is meant to burn us. Holy ground will burn you. Holy ground will burn you. And like Moses, we often come into this place, you know what we're concerned about? Me, ourselves. Wait, 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 wait. God only came here to be comforted, right? Right? God, God, I'm, I, I'm most concerned about these metal chairs at the moment. Because right about now is when they really start to hurt. Right? And God comes in, he enters into this school cafeteria, he enters into this place, into this multicolored tile cafeteria, and he says, it's not about the presence or the place or the building, it is about this being where I am meeting you. And holy ground burns you. The consumption of the fire is not for the bush. It creates life in us. It gives us mission. It gives us calling. We enter this place to be challenged. And if you're coming here for comfort, you're in the wrong place. Because when you enter, approach the consuming fire bush, when you enter into the presence of God and holy ground, you better expect to be burned. And we try to avoid that, don't we? There's a, a, there's a wonderful little preacher story of a town of ducks. They're all ducks. Sunday morning, all the ducks get up and all the ducks get dressed for church and all the ducks waddle themselves to church and all the ducks go into church and they listen to the duck preacher preach a duck sermon telling them that they're ducks, that they were made by God to fly, that they're beautiful creatures before God themselves, that they're, that they're something more than just than what they see before them. And these ducks are inspired. They feel good about themselves because of this duck preacher. Made the fly, he says. Church is over and all those ducks waddle on home. And they immediately forget that they're ducks. And God created them for something more, something bigger, something grander. And God does that with Moses. I created you for something bigger and holier and godlier and grander than what you are doing in this moment and God has built you for something bigger and something holier and something grander than this moment. You are God's precious child. And God has called you before his burning bush on the holy ground. And will it burn you? Because the thing that Moses, um, I don't know if you picked this up in Exodus chapter 3, when God speaks to that burning bush, Moses has a choice right there. Because God says, stop. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. 
And in that moment, Moses has a choice. Will he take off his sandals and enter into holy ground and accept the burn that will come? Or will Moses keep his sandals on and say, look, I know I was made to fly, but I like modeling a whole lot more. And that's the choice you and I have to make. You have a choice to fly and to be burned and come before God in this place onto this holy ground. And this morning, we're going to take time to worship the holy ground that you and I are on. Brent's going to lead us in an extended time of, of worship, at least extended in, in the sense of typically what we do after a message time. Because we entered the holy ground and we have opportunity to respond. I will make myself available up front this morning, but there's also the available time to respond right where you are, but to know that God is holy and he is before you and he calls you into holy ground. Brent, we lead us in worship this morning. Let's stand together as we sing.